You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Tell us that in Jesus, he wants us to be makers of peace. Makers of peace. And we live in a world where there is so much loss and so much chaos in 1963, 1968, a landmark book came out uh, by some historians, Will and Ariel Durant. And the name of the book is The Lessons of History. And up until that point, the historians of that day had gone back 3,421 years of written history and were able to study those years. And in that, they found that out of all those thousands of years, only 268 of them have been years where there was no record of war. So only 268 out of 3,421 years. Well, it's 51 years later now. So it's been 3,072 years of world history. And in the last 51 years, of course, none of those were years without war. And so we see in the world that there continues to be a great number of wars everywhere. And all those dots that you see there are only the numbers of conflicts that our government believes are places where World War III could begin, where those dots are. And the red ones are the more hot spots. But around the countries of the world, there is even more wars than that. The, the whole map would be full with dots if we were able to see all of the skirmishes and the wars in the world. Essentially, there are 824 wars right now going on, at least in our world today, on, in 69 different countries around the world. And so there's war everywhere. And we live in a world of war. And we live in a place where there is seemingly little safety for war. When I was a boy, many of you don't really know this, some of you do, but they used to have duck and cover drills. And so there were, there were sirens around our city that if they went off, that there was going to be a nuclear attack. And that was the Cold War years. And what we were trying to do was to duck and cover. And so we would get down under our little desk and put our heads over our, our, our arms over our heads, as if that would protect us in a nuclear explosion, right? It just gave us some semblance of hope, but of course, it would have done nothing. We live in a world where there is that kind of fear that there's so much hate in our world, there's so many wars in our world that they could easily come and destroy not only our land, but our lives. And that is in the political and the large realm of our governments in the world. But Jesus talks about peace, and I believe that he's talking about a more personal issue for you and me. I believe that he's talking about something that has to begin in our own hearts, because we live in a world right now where there is hate going on all the time. There is hate, cyberbullying, which is a huge problem on the Internet and on our phones. There are vicious attacks through social media, in an article written Helen Popkin of NBC News, the title of the article itself is instructive. It says, as your social media emotions go viral, anger spreads the fastest. 
And so anger, she says in her article, is the most viral emotion on the internet. In other words, it's what spreads more rapidly than anything else. Anger. We live in a world where we need peace. And you and I are to be makers of peace. And so Jesus comes to us, and in these simple words, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. God wants us to know that he's called us into a life of not just having peace, but making peace. And we also need to understand what this peace really is that God wants us to have. And so today we're going to look at, well, what is peace and and how do I get it? And then once I have it, what does a peacemaker look like? And so first of all, what is peace? What is peace and how do I get it? In the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. And we see this in Judges 6, 23 and 24. Would you read this with me? Let's say it together. And the Lord said unto him, peace be unto thee, fear not. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Or the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And this word peace means to have a completeness and a wholeness of harmony throughout one's life. It's not just an absence of trouble. It's not just an absence of conflict. And so when Jesus in the Old Testament is prophesied as becoming and coming to us as the Prince of Peace, it means he's coming to us as the Prince of Shalom. And it means that we can have a relationship with God that's unimpaired. We can have a peaceful relationship with God and we can experience fulfillment. It means that we can have this to give to other people. When I was in Israel a few years ago, wherever you go, people say to you, Shalom, those who are Hebrew. They, say, they offer to you their peace. And when they do that, they're not just saying, have a good day. They're not just saying, hi, how are you? And they're not just wishing you, you know, to have a day without trouble. What they are saying to you is, I long for you to have a complete and a whole life. I long for you to have a complete and a whole life. And this is what we want. This is what each and every one of us needs. We want a whole and peaceful life. We want to have peace that's within our hearts. And so we want to know how do we get it. Now, first of all, what's very important to understand is Jesus in these words is not telling us how we become Christians. It is not, he is not telling us that to become a Christian, you must first be a peacemaker, If we wanted that information, then we learn it from other scripture. So in John chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's how we become Christians. This is what's so important. First, we become Christians. Jesus is speaking to Christians in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not telling us how to become Christians. He's describing how true believers are supposed to live. And so in John 1, 12, that is how we become a Christian. We believe. And to believe means to have a conviction. It means to entrust oneself and to commit oneself to what they believe in or who they believe in. And to receive means to take a hold of in a way that you take it for yourself and you possess it. 
And so Jesus is offering us in John 1.12 the opportunity to become Christians. In Galatians chapter 3.26, it clearly says you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then when we have this faith and we believe and we receive, then we are Christians. And Paul tells us in Ephesians, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near. See, we were far away. We didn't have peace with God. Now we've been brought near. How? How did we get this peace? We got this peace through the blood of Christ by Jesus dying on the cross for us. And therefore now he is our peace. Now, Jesus is our peace. So wherever we're missing peace, it's because that's the place where Jesus wants to minister to. Jesus wants to reside. Jesus wants us to live a life where we are surrendered to him, where we bow to him. And when we do that, then we are receiving and we are believing, we are taking for ourselves faith. Faith is a surrender of our life to Jesus. It is the bowing down of our life to the Lord. Have you ever thought about what bowing means and, and why that action is taking place? And so if you go, especially, of course, in our own heritage to Asian countries, and you bow, why do they do that? They bow and they don't look at each other. Now, if you're a karate fighter, right, you, you bow, right, but you never take your eye off the opponent, opponent right? You never. Now, why is that, right? is because you don't want them to give you a sucker punch, all right? And you are keeping your eye on them, and they're keeping their eye on you to be sure you don't do any funny business. But now when these people bow, and we bow, and we put our heads down, what's happening? Well, we're exposing our neck. And what we're saying is that I trust that though I'm not looking at you, you're not going to chop off my head. Now, in our world, we shake hands. You know why did we do that? That's to show to the person that we're seeking to greet, no weapon in my hand. Look, it is empty. Show me yours. Right? And when you really, you know, like somebody, right, or you really want to show, you, you greet somebody with two hands, right? There's absolutely nothing, you know, behind my back. There's nothing in my hand to harm you. So a bowing, a bowing is even more expressive because it exposes the neck. It means that I trust you completely. I am surrendered in peace to you as a friend. And this is what God tells us to do, to bow to him. Let's read this together. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what God wants for the world. This is what God wants. How we become Christians. We bow to Jesus. But once we have bowed to the Lord, once we have committed our lives to the Lord, now, Jesus speaking to us in the Beatitudes says, now you are to be a maker of peace. You are to be a maker of peace. What does it require? What is it required of you and me to be a maker of peace? Now, a maker is someone who is not passive, but active. So we are not peace keepers. We are peace Makers. Peacekeepers would just keep it to themselves in that manner. 
But peacemakers are eager to give it away. We're not passive. There are things that we can do so that we can initiate peace with other people. We were just talking in the adult Sunday school class today. What is the purpose of the church? And one of the purposes of the church is to spread of Jesus Christ and of his peace. We are here to be initiators to the world and to one another of Jesus Christ. And you can be a peacemaker. And if you decide that you will be a peacemaker, you will then put application to your can. See, you can, I can. I am capable of being a peacemaker. But it's my will that's so important that I decide that I will be a peacemaker. The Word of God encourages us to engage our will to be peacemakers and to take the initiative to do that. Let's read together this verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, Paul is speaking to believers here. He's always speaking to you and to me inside this building and those of us who belong to this church. He is saying... I need to make every effort. We need to be initiators of peace, not initiators of conflict, not initiators of division, but initiators that bring about a joining of people. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, let's read this together. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone and so God calls you and me to live at peace with each other. Pastor um, R. Kent Hughes, he used to pastor a big church in Wheaton, uh, Illinois, and he's retired now, but, but he, he says in one of his books, he says that we must not be afraid to make waves in the pursuit of true peace. Now, that's almost paradoxical, right? Because on one side, we are not to cause conflict. But he says that we shouldn't be afraid to make waves so that there might be peace. I agree with him. Because when... What it means is that I must learn to have the courage to confront... ...of courage to talk to the other person. This is extremely practical, not in this church, but this one place that everybody who's married knows marriage is a prime example of this. You cannot have peace, real peace, and union, and joy, and love, and understanding, and a fellowship with your spouse, unless you are willing to confront progress. That's so true about the church as well. That we are not going to make progress with each other unless we have the courage to make that means it's going to be difficult. That means I'm going to be scared. That means there's probably going to be some pain. There's going to be some mistakes. Probably means there's going to be some misunderstandings. But this is the price we pay for peace. Now, what are some of these prices we pay? Our Kent Hughes says the first one is this, that we are honest. We're honest. If there's a problem, we admit it. We admit what has disturbed the peace. And then we admit our role in it. Because as long as there is a problem between two people, both sides have responsibility. 
As long as there's a problem between two people, both sides have to work at it. And it's this person who's willing to be honest and humble who can begin that process. We need to be humble, but we also need to be honest and talk to them. Secondly, when we go to the person, when I have people come to me and they have a conflict and they want me to try to help them to resolve it, the first thing I ask them after I get to know them, after I hear their stories, is I ask each of them, what do you know that you did wrong in this conflict? Not what the other person did, but what did you do that added to the problem? And it's interesting that whoever speaks up first, okay, that person to me was the more humble person, that they were willing to, to speak up. And when they say what they did wrong, you know what happens? The other person starts to relax. The other person starts to feel like, you know, they're not, they're not being attacked. And then they can say what they did wrong. And it is just the beginning, but it is a way for us to understand that we have to take the initiative to confess our own failures when there is a broken peace. And of course, as he said before, it risks pain. It's the risk that we take so that there can be peace. And he says the peacemaker is a fighter. He wages peace. I like that. See, we usually think of waging war. But he says we wage peace. And so this is what an initiator does. But an initiator also can say, I can do this with God's help, with his spirit, with his presence with me, with the Prince of Peace in my life. I can and I will act. And I can and I will act with wisdom. And if I do this before a problem, then being a peace makes it be preemptive. It creates an atmosphere where peace can grow. It's a place where somebody can feel safe to express themselves and know they're accepted just the way they are. In James chapter 3, verse 17, let's read that together. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving. See, the wisdom that comes from God is first of all pure. And so being pure, of course, take out the things that are toxic, the things that are caustic. And so here are some things that we have to be careful about if we want to be peace-loving. And we want to be pure or mean. Harsh or mean. It means that we will not be quarrelsome. This is a, a particularly important word to church leaders because Paul teaches church leaders that they ought to cause or be the source of quarrels in their church. It also means they are not to be resentful nor be defensive nor are we to be vengeful. I want you just to take a moment and think about this for yourself. Not like, oh, I remember when somebody else was harsh and mean to me. But rather, maybe better that we think, where in the conflicts or the dangers of my conflict? You know, we live with danger. We never know where conflict's going to come from. Usually they come out of the blue, right? We just... 
But this is what we have to remember. When it happens, I will not be harsh. I will not be mean. I will not be quarrelsome. I will not be resentful. I will not be defensive. And I certainly will not be vengeful. It's hard. It's hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for you. But think about those. Each one is so important for us to act with wisdom that is pure. And then, and so importantly, I can and I will strive to be like God's only son. See, we are called sons of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, would you turn there with me in your Bibles? Matthew 5, 43 through 45. This is a great passage. If you have your own Bibles there, or you're looking on your phones, highlight it, think about it, often memorize it. Because in Matthew 5, 8, 9, we're reading about Jesus telling us to be peacemakers. Later on in that same chapter, in verses 43 through 45, and then we'll also see in 46 and 47, Jesus is showing us how. How we can be like Jesus. So Matthew 5.43 says this. Jesus is speaking. You have heard that it was said, love your enemies. Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Sorry. But he also tells you to love your enemies. Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love them. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, we are sons, called sons of God in the Beatitudes. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43, he's telling us that we will be called sons of God, our enemies, as he does, as Jesus does, and as we for our enemies. What was Jesus' first word on the cross? They were a father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Being Jesus, we know, of course, is to try to be like love. But being like Jesus as a peacemaker puts love into action in ways that we pray, in ways that we put the other person's good as the top of our prayers. John Piper says, peacemaking is all the acts of love to try to overcome the enmity between us and other people. It is the sum of all the ways of love by which you try to remove walls and barriers between me and other people. God wants us to remove the walls and the barriers that exist even now between you and somebody else, between me and somebody else. And we begin doing this, we act on it by praying. And so what do we pray for? What do we pray for? What is it that Jesus would have us to pray for for our enemies? Well, in Matthew 6, just the next chapter, we see Jesus teaching us in a very familiar prayer how we are to pray for our enemies. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are to pray for our enemies that they might become holy, that they might hollow God's name. We are to pray that God's kingdom 
would come unto them. That their will would be God's will and that they would do God's will on the earth. We would pray that they would receive their daily bread, that they would have all of their needs met. We would pray that they would know forgiveness from God in their hearts. And they would know forgiveness even as we forgive them. We would pray that God would deliver them from Satan and from evil and from temptations. And this is what we are to pray for those that we might call our enemies or our foes or the ones that we have conflict with, the ones where we need peace, where, where we don't have peace. So that's the first thing that, that Jesus teaches. It's so practical about what we are to be about so that we are peacemakers in the context of those that we know where there's brokenness. And then secondly, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, just look down the next two verses, and it says, if you love those who love you, well, what reward would you get? Not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And so what Jesus is saying there is, look, if you're going to be different than the rest of the world, you are going to love your enemies. You are going to look at them. You are going to look at them in the face. You're going to love them personally. You're going to greet them. You're not just going to greet those who love you because that's what everybody else in the world does. Greet, 47. You are going to greet for whom you've had a problem with. That you greet them, you look at them, hold a grudge. Try to avoid them. You don't look the other way when they come. When you have an opportunity to be near them, you reach out to them. You don't turn your face away from them. And then you do your very best. You try to talk to them. And if all the earnestness that you can muster up, you go up to them. And if you saw them today, you would say, good afternoon, Curtis. Good afternoon. You don't want to avoid those that you have conflict with. It is that effort that we make that can a relationship of peace and to be a maker of peace. When I was graduating from high school, eons ago, uh, it was really popular that everybody would buy a class ring. And so there would be a committee and they'd decide what to put on that ring. Uh, well, when I graduated from high school in the early 1970s, there was a song that was really popular. It's actually a hymn. And it's called, Let There Be Peace on Earth, and Let It Begin With Me. And so it was popular on secular radio as well. And so it became, you know, the theme of our, our, for our rings, for our class that year. Of course, we couldn't get the whole thing on the ring. They weren't that big. So they just put, with me. Let it begin with me. And that's something that we were thinking to leave high school. That whatever we wanted to do in the world... It could begin with us. Peace begins with me, with you. Lord, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Say that with me. Lord, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let's say it again with the emphasis on the word peace. Lord, let there be peace on earth and let it begin 
with me. Let's say it again with the emphasis on begin. Lord, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And let's say it one last time with the emphasis on me. Lord, let there be peace on earth begin with me. Let us pray and that we indeed decide and choose to be makers of peace.